a big thing to them is the people who have power need to give up power. They need to give away power. They're privileged. They need to check their privilege and give away power. That's a narrative out there that resonates with a lot of people right now. And so this pastor is saying, I want to make Christianity look like that thing that they're really into. So I'm going to reshape it, rebrand it, and say that the cross is all about giving up power. I thought the cross was all about atoning for the sins of God's elect. I thought the cross was all about paying for the sins of all who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I thought the cross was about shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in Joppa, Maryland. And the topic for today is rebranding the faith, rebranding the faith. What do I mean by that little short story right up front so you know where we're going with this? So it is possible to rephrase, to restate, to rebrand Christian truth in order to make it more acceptable, more appealing to non-Christians who don't really like what the truth would be. Um, It's possible to do that within limits where you're not really changing the value of the truth. Uh, That'd be okay. We might say that's an appropriate winsomeness. But uh, we're talking about something more than that. We're talking about people who rebrand the faith and really turn Christian doctrines into something else. So what I'm going to say to you about rebranding the faith is this. Well, I'll, I'll say it with a little story. Dumb story. You ready for a dumb story? Here it is. So there's a dad and a son. Dad stays home from church one day. He's sick. I don't know what it was. Son goes to church. Son comes home from church. Dad says, uh, what was the sermon about today? And the son says, sin. Typical boy. Answer with one word. Dad says, well, what did the preacher say about sin? The son said, don't do it. This sounds just like our sons would have been. They'd come home from school. How was school today? Good. That's all I could ever get out of them. But anyway, so don't do it. This is about rebranding the faith in ways that actually change the value, the meaning of the truth involved. And what I'm going to say to you is don't do it and recognize when other people do it and don't like it. So let's back up a little bit and go to the Apostle Paul, and let's see how he approached ministry and whether what I'm going to read you from Paul sounds like he would be open to rebranding the faith in a way that changes the truth content, the meaning. How did he present truth? There could be many examples of this, but I have just two. One is from 2 Corinthians 4, which I'll begin reading in verse 2. Paul says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But, now here's what he does instead, but by the open statement of the truth. Boy, let that one settle in a little bit. I love that one. What's Paul do? Open statement of the truth. Let's just pause there for a minute. If anybody on the planet is telling the truth about anything and everything, shouldn't it be us? The people of God, Christians, people with Bibles in their hands. God is the God of truth. The scriptures are true. Shouldn't we be the people who tell people that's not true, this is true, rather than rebrand things so that they'll like our stuff when we're not giving them the true stuff? No, Paul says, by open statement of the truth. That's what I want to do as a pastor. And let's just state the truth openly. Now, I don't mean be like a blunderbuss. I don't mean uh, with a lack of appropriate winsomeness, 
But what I mean is not in such a way that would change the meaning. No, we want to openly state the truth. By that, he says, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. When we think about how we're going to appear to other people, how we're going to commend ourselves to them, what's our approach? We just openly state the truth. And, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, what's he mean? Why does he put that in right there? Meaning, if they don't like it, if they don't hear it, if they don't receive it, if they don't want it, if they say, no, I don't believe what you're saying. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's why they don't get it. That's why they don't receive it. We can't dress it up and make it all so that they'll like it and receive it. Some of them aren't going to receive it if we give them open statement of the truth. But even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians 4, 2 and 3. Truth. So I want to say it again. We are the people on the planet who ought to be speaking the truth about everything. Not trying to sugarcoat it, not trying to cover it up, not trying to omit certain parts, not hiding parts, not playing parts down, not reshaping them like a wax nose that you can shape into any nose you want so that they'll like your nose, so that they'll like the scriptures. No, open statement of the truth. Let's listen to Paul again. This time it's in Acts chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's reminding them this is his last time with them, and he wants to remind them what he was like when he ministered among them in Ephesus. And he says, you yourselves know how I did not shrink. He's going to use that phrase twice. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So if it was profitable, I didn't hold back. I didn't pull any punches. I didn't say, no, I won't do that because they won't like that one. No, no, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Now he says it again. For I did not shrink from declaring to you, get this phrase, the whole counsel of God. Now, what is the whole counsel of God? It's everything God teaches in his word about everything. That's the whole counsel. Like, I didn't take parts and say, nah, that won't play too well in our day. I better change that. I better massage it. I better reshape it. I better rebrand it so it'll be more likable and more acceptable to people. No, I did not shrink from declaring to you everything God says on every topic. Aren't we the people on the planet who are supposed to be doing that? And he says, verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul, I think, is saying, look, I didn't rebrand stuff. Not in a way that changed the meaning, that changed the message. I didn't think, let's see, how can I make this look like something they'll like? And in so doing, you make it look not like what God says, not like what's actually in the Word. All right, we went to the Apostle Paul in introducing this topic. Now I'm going to go to a hero of mine, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is his book, Knowing the Times. And uh, I just happened to reread this. So I first read it, I noted this in the front of the book, back in August of 1990. And I've dipped into it here and there since then. But I just reread the whole book, and man, some parts really stood out to me. So here we go. I'm on page 206 of Knowing the Times. And this is a... uh, This is a talk, a public talk he gave in August of 19, 
No, I'm sorry. In, in 1964, talk he gave in 1964. <clears throat> this talk is titled The Weapons of Our Warfare. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. Well, unless I am seriously mistaken, this is the greatest danger. By the way, he calls about 27 things the greatest danger in this book. But anyway, this is the greatest danger threatening the evangelical position in the Christian church at this present hour. What is it? Its motive is a very good one. Its idea is to make Christianity acceptable to men. Those who think in that way are out to evangelize. They are out to help. They want to make the gospel acceptable. And they say that you can only do this if you can make it intellectually respectable. In an attempt to make the gospel reasonable in the sight of men, this attempt to make the gospel acceptable to men is already wrong in and of itself. The idea that you can take the gospel and because of modern knowledge, present it in such a way that it is going to be easier for modern man to believe it is a denial of the gospel. It's a denial of the offense of the cross. A little bit later on, 2.14, he writes, Consider this. The modern conservative evangelical who thinks along these lines, rebranding, does all this because he wants to win people. But consider what an American author by the name of Horndon, writing in 1959 in The Case for a New Reformation Theology, says, The new conservative theology of today and its desire to be update, intellectual and relevant, is in grave danger of conforming too closely to the modern age to be able to bring a word to that age. What he means is that you can so modify your message, your belief, or your method that the man you are trying to win says, well, I don't see much difference between what you're saying and what I've already believed. You will no longer be able to help him. In your over-desire and over-anxiety to help him, you are frustrating your own effort and endeavor. So what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying is there's this tendency, there's this temptation to want to change, to rebrand, to rewrite the message just a little bit more. We must have confidence and assurance in what? In the Bible as the Word of God. That makes sense, doesn't it? Like, it's the Bible. It's God's Word. Just put it out there. Open statement of the truth. We have confidence that God in his sovereignty and God in his grace and God in his mercy, he will draw in those who are to be his people. He'll draw in his elect. He'll draw in his chosen, and they will receive that Word. He writes also, we must, like this great apostle, deliver the whole counsel of God. He goes on, I believe that much of our present position is due to the fact that we have not done that. We've held things back. We have only preached parts of it. We have been afraid of offending. We have been superficial. We have been so interested in getting visible results that we have kept back certain vital aspects of the truth. No, it must be the whole counsel, the full gospel. So there's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love what he writes there. So rebranding, what is it? All right, so you know the concept from business, right? You start a business, your business is doing real good, then it's not doing real good anymore. It's getting worse and worse. You're not selling. Let's say you're making widgets. By the way, those aren't the widgets that are now on your iPhone. Widgets was just an old term for any product like a generic term for any product that you want to sell. So you're making widgets, and your widgets aren't selling anymore. So you hire a marketing firm, and they look into it, and they say, oh, you need to rebrand this. You need to rebrand it so they don't look like widgets, so we don't even use the word widgets. So we we need to rebrand it so it's something they'll like and something they want. And they rebrand your thing, and then your sales go up again. And churches say, well, look, that works for business. Let's bring that into the church of Jesus Christ. We can reach more people if we rebrand some things. 
if we change the face of it all. So that's the concept of rebranding. How do pastors rebrand? Here's what they do. When they come to unpopular, not PC parts of God's word, here are some options. Number one, they might omit that part. Just don't preach that part. Just preach topically and make your topics always things that will be like user-friendly. Non-Christians will always like what you have to say about the topics you choose. Don't ever preach the hard parts. Or preach about the enemy getting in the way of your potential. That's really popular right now. Preach pop psychology. Omit what's actually in the Word. That's one thing pastors do. Here's another thing they do. Reshape, redefine, rebrand biblical teaching on touchy issues to make it more acceptable, as acceptable as you possibly can to people who won't like it. But that's fine so far, but not at the expense of the truth. That's going too far. Not at the expense of changing the message. For example, you're preaching along in the Bible and you come to a certain sin and it won't be popular. Let's say the sin is um, you're in Romans chapter one and it comes to men doing things with men that are shameful. It's the gay lifestyle. And you come up on that verse, so what do you do? You reshape that, you redefine it, you rebrand it so that your non-Christian friends will kind of like what you have to say. Here's what they commonly do. This is very common. When you come up to a passage like that or any other topic that isn't popular, that won't be liked, that isn't PC now, you, you get up to that, you read the verse, and then you say, well, you know, I, of course, I, I believe what's in the verse, but here's the problem. Oh, the church has been so bad about the way they've treated people. And you start criticizing the church. So you don't preach on the sin. Like in Romans 1, Paul just preaches on the sin. He doesn't preach about, now, how you humans are going to be so bad at handling this, and you're going to be so awful. No, he just preaches about the sin. You can't do that now. You barely mention the sin. What you do instead is you preach about the sin of these awful Christians, these fundamentalists, these right-wingers or whatever, and I'm not like them, and we're different. We're the kind that you'll like. So you make a big point out of this. We're not like those awful people. Instead of simply telling the truth, you make claims like, and one pastor in North Carolina, pastor of a megachurch, some of you would know his name if I mentioned it, he says, I have a direct quote on this later, but I'm going to give you the idea right now. God only whispers about sexual sin in the Bible, but he thunders against oppression and injustice. Not true, but that's rebranding. Here's another thing pastors do when they want to rebrand. You identify narratives in the culture out there in the world right now that really resonate with people. When they hear that narrative, man, they vibrate. They love that narrative. It resonates with their culture. And then what you do is you craft and adapt and rebrand the faith to fit those narratives. So there's something there into, you find something in the Bible, I'll give you examples of this in a bit here, and you fit them to that narrative so it looks like the thing they're into. Let me start giving you some examples. Here we go. So here's a tweet from an extraordinarily bright and well-known Christian pastor, a man who's a godly man, a man who I respect. I believe he's a brother in Christ. He's done much good. I'm not going to name him, but he tweeted, and I followed him on Twitter in those days, and he tweeted in uh, November of 2020 these words, Jesus came not to accrue power, He came to give power up. Let me read you a second thing. This came out in December of 21. Quote, the heart of the gospel is the cross, and the cross is all about giving up power. 
Whoa. That's rebranding the faith in a way that is absolutely not acceptable. Now, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are about seven or eight statements that Jesus Christ made where he said, I have come to, I have come to, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. I have not come to, but I have come to. He makes seven or eight of those statements and tells us why he came. He never says, I have come to give power up. He never says, I'm going to the cross, and the cross is all about giving up power. Why does this... What is, I think, sinister about this? Why does this pastor do that? Why did he treat, tweet that in 2020 and in 2021? He's appealing to a crowd. Who's the crowd? It's basically people who are into critical theory. It's people who are into uh, social Marxism. It's cre- people who are into the whole woke thing. A big thing to them is the people who have power need to give up power. They need to give away power. They're privileged. They need to check their privilege and give away power. That's a narrative out there that resonates with a lot of people right now. And so this pastor is saying, I want to make Christianity look like that thing that they're really into. So I'm going to reshape it, rebrand it, and say that the cross is all about giving up power. I thought the cross was all about atoning for the sins of God's elect. I thought the cross was all about paying for the sins of all who will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I thought the cross was about shedding of blood for the remission of sins. He ought to be tweeting, the cross is all about Christ shedding his blood for the remission of our sins. But he dares to text or to tweet, the cross is all about giving up power. This is playing to a group and reshaping the gospel in a way that is totally not acceptable, in my opinion. So what's wrong with what what this guy did? It's distorting. It's misrepresenting. It's bearing false witness about Jesus to make him, to try to make him, attractable to certain people. It's bad. Furthermore, what happens if, let's say one of them says, oh, I like the Jesus who gives up power. I'm going to believe on him. Did they really believe on the real Jesus? And what happens if then they start reading their Bible, and one day in their Bible they discover all the I have come to statements, and they say, wait a minute, it never says Jesus came to give up power. It says he came to die for our sins. What about when he discovers that? He's going to be like, I was deceived. I was tricked. I wasn't told about the real Jesus. I was told about Marxist Jesus. I was told about woke Jesus, and that's why I believed. We need to just practice open statement of the truth. Let me give you another example. Same pastor, internationally known, great man. I expect to see him in heaven. This is in a live broadcast. He's on a talk show. I watched a recording of it, and the the talk show host asked him, would somebody go to hell for being gay? Here's how he answered, Oh, no, you don't go to hell for being gay or for having gay sex. Because if you'd go to hell for being gay or having gay sex, then the opposite is also true. You'd go to heaven for having straight sex. And that's not how you go to heaven. You don't go to hell for being gay. You only go to hell for trying to be your own savior, or he put it in other times, or for being self-righteous. You only go to hell for trying to be your own savior. What's wrong with that? You're giving up the biblical doctrine of hell to make the teaching of the Bible look better to the LGBTQ plus group. It's a bad idea. You, we do go to hell for the deeds committed in the body. Jesus Christ at the last day will judge us all 
for the deeds done in the body. Everything we will done have done, it will come up. We go to hell for violations of God's holy and righteous law. And gay things are not one, the only one. There's a whole big long list of them, and hetero people have a huge number of those on their list. But we don't want to give up the Bible's teaching on a sin to make it look better to people in the world. Here's another quote from the same pastor. Sorry for picking on the same one, but he's like the model of this. He's the, he's the granddaddy of all this, so it doesn't hurt to just get out some of the things he said. He says, when I first began my ministry in, and he names the city, I encountered a cultural allergy, allergy to the Christian concept of sin. My culture didn't like sin, the name, the word, the concept. I found that Instead, I got the most traction with people when I turned to the Bible's extensive teaching on idolatry. So sin, I explained, is building your life's meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God, which is certainly true. It's exactly right. That's a problem. Uh, But is that all sin is? He goes on, whatever else we build our life on will drive our passions and choices and end up enslaving us. True. True. But what's wrong with this? The sin he's describing, idolatry, is only one sin. There are a lot of other sins in the Bible. There are over 600 commands, if you break those commands, they're sins, in the New Testament. I don't know how many there are in the Old Testament. There are the Ten Commands, the Big Ten, and only one of them is about idolatry. There are lots of other commands in the Bible. What about the classic statement of Protestant Christians that, quote, sin is any transgression of God's law? Or another one, quote, sin is any want of conformity to God's law. No, for this pastor, sin is no longer those things because my people won't get that. So sin is rebranded to be just trying to be self-righteous or building your life on something else other than God. Again, those things certainly are problems. There are a lot of other things that are sins, and if we're going to win people to Christ, we have to tell them there's a holy God in heaven. He's revealed himself in nature, and he's revealed himself in a book. The book tells us about things that are his laws. Transgressions of those laws are sins. You're guilty of those transgressions. Christ died to pardon you and forgive you for those transgressions and those sins. Can they really even come to saving faith in Jesus Christ if they don't understand such concepts as God's law? and human sin. One more quote from that one. No, I'm sorry. I see the bottom of my page. There's going to be another one. He says about the people in his city, the people in his culture, they do get the idea of rebranding, of taking a term or a word and filling it with your own content. So I have to rebrand the word sin, he says. To go on, around here, sin means self-centeredness the acorn from which it all grows. Individually, that means I live for myself, for my own glory and my happiness. I'll work for your happiness only if it helps me. And he says, communally, self-centeredness is destroying. So he's rebranding sin to make it just something that means self-centeredness. Well, certainly that lies at the heart of it all, But sin is also the specific manifestations of that self-centeredness in violating God's law toward God and toward people. One more thing from that pastor. 
That pastor also says, quote, simply to define sin as a violation of God's law is problematic in a postmodern culture and raises philosophical issues which arise out of any attempt to begin our evangelistic engagement with the current generation with reference to the moral code of an ancient Israelite society. Long sentence, but he's basically saying, look, if I just tell people there's a holy God, there's a book, there's sins, here's what some of them are, it won't resonate with them. Contrast the great Westminster divines and how they define sin in the Westminster Larger Catechism. Question 24, what is sin? Answer, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God. That's got to be the answer to the question, what is sin? In any culture, in every culture, for all peoples, in all places, and in all times. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to lead people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I happen to be reading through some uh, volumes by a theologian named Bavink right now, and I just happened to cross this the other day when I was reading. Here's his, his definition. Sin is breaking God's command. And sin flows from a heart that rebels against God. Sin is anything contrary to God's law. But now we have new definitions of sin because people won't get that sin. And the new definition is it's trying to be your own savior. It's being self-righteous. It's putting yourself at the center rather than God. And all those things are sins or sinful, but there are many more things in the Bible than that that are sins. And there's a greater concept that must be grasped of a holy God, a holy book, holy laws, and we have violated them and we need a savior who can redeem us from our violations of his law. So that's one big, long example of rebranding. Here's another one. This one's easier and smaller, and we can cover it faster. So instead of talking about people being fallen, I've noticed some pastors always, instead of fallen, they use the word broken. Oh, people are broken. So many people are broken. Now, you see, fallen means the thing in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell, and the whole race fell with them. Fallen is that. They won't like that. They're not ready to agree with that till the Spirit of God opens their heart to accept it. But broken is a term that they'll get. They'll agree with. Oh, yes, we're broken. But now they don't mean what me we mean by fallen. They mean what they mean by broken. I'm not aware of anywhere that the Bible describes our fallenness as brokenness. It is fallenness. We have fallen into what? Into sin. We're not broken into sin. We are fallen into sin. People need to know more than that they're broken. Again, people need to know there's a holy God. There's a holy book. There's a holy law. I'm a sinner. I need Christ to redeem me because I have broken God's commandments. Let's switch gears. Here's another thing that's rebranded. It's gender roles in the church. Let's take, for example, the office of pastor in God's word is restricted to males. The world doesn't presently like that. So what do we do? Well, some churches, some Christians, some pastors seem to be scrambling to rebrand that part of God's word and to render it as invisible as possible or as acceptable as possible to our world. So some invent new novel interpretations, so those verses no longer mean what they say. Others rebrand it to look and feel and mean something very different. For example, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that 
Um, I don't permit a woman, he's talking about in church, I don't permit a woman to, to teach or exercise authority, that's the office of elder, over a man, but rather to be in submission. So some people have said, here's what that means. That means, is this a rebranding or what? That means a woman can do anything that an unordained man can do. And in many of their churches, unordained men can preach, so women can preach now in church. And lots of other things unordained men can do, and now women can do those things. So um, that's a rebranding. If you start with a verse that says women can't do this and can't do that, and you say, here's what it means, they can do anything that an unordained man can do. Here's another way you might try to make things look better. You might rebrand your church on your website. Now I'm thinking of a very prominent church, a very influential church, very large church in Texas. I won't name them. But if you look at their website, well, if you look at our website and you go to see the people who are running things here, we've got elders and then we've got staff. Elders, that's the office that's actually in the Bible. Those are the guys who are at the top of the food chain here. They're the they're the ones who are in authority here, the group of elders. We have elders, and then we have staff that works in support of those elders, that works in submission to those elders. When you go to this website, what you see is staff first. And it's a lot of staff, way more staff than elders. You keep scrolling and scrolling, and there's more staff, and there's more staff. And here's the noteworthy thing. About, I didn't count, so this might not be quite right, about half of them are women. And some of the women, a number of them, actually have the title minister. So it's not pastor, it's not elder, it's minister. I think to make that look good to the world. See, we have women who are ministers. And here's our leadership group. Look, there's a whole lot of women in our top pictured leadership group. Then you get way down the page and there's a much smaller group of elders and they're all men. But they're like lost down there. They're like insignificant down there. They should be up top. What are we doing? It's a not-so-subtle way of rebranding. Hey, look, world, we're all about empowering women. We're putting women up there in the leadership of our church. Well, I'm glad they have women on their staff. We have women on our staff. They're wonderful women, and they get a lot of good stuff done. But we're putting our elders first at the top of our page because that's the office that's actually in the Bible, and those are the men whom Christ appoints over this church. Here's another way that people are rebranding. So back to the LGBTQ plus whole thing. You're preaching along, and you come to Romans chapter 1, and you come to where Paul says, men with men, women with women, and it's like the bottom of the list of sins. This is, this is how worse, this is how bad it can actually become. So now I'm going to give you the exact quote that I stumbled on earlier. In 2019, a pastor in Raleigh, a very prominent pastor, a huge megachurch, he said, quote, the Bible appears more to whisper on sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. Let me read that again. The Bible appears more to whisper on sexual sin compared to its shouts about materialism and religious pride. So you can see people who don't like the faith saying, yeah, I'm with you on that. These materialistic Christians, I'm not like those materialistic Christians. I'm not like those religiously proud Christians. We're not like that group. Yeah, we're with you. We like you Christians. You're the good kind of Christians. And the Bible appears more to whisper on sexual sin. What? The Bible whispers on sexual sin? Have you read about Sodom and Gomorrah? Was that a whisper? 
Have you read Romans chapter 1 and any number of other lists from the apostles about sexual sin? They don't appear to whisper to me. In fact, I'd say they're more plain and more loud and more abundant than a whole lot of other things we can name, like maybe religious pride. Though There's lots in the Bible about that, too. So what's wrong with rebranding in that way? You barely preach on the sin. Instead, what you do is you attack the people who do preach on the sin. We're not like them. Those people who just make open statements of the truth, and they don't pad it, and they don't qualify it, and they don't you know, make it look desirable to people who really wouldn't love God's truth. We're not like those people. We're the good kind of Christians. There's a lot of this. Let's go to one more example of rebranding. It's the doctrine of hell. One way you rebrand that is you just never mention it. There's a lot of that nowadays. You never preach about hell. You never word the, use the word hell. Or if you have a hell, it's a wrathless hell. There's none of the wrath of God, the righteous indignation of a holy God against the rebellion and sins of sinners. There's none of that in it. It's uh, rather just you know the place where people go who don't want God. So you rebrand it. But in many cases, you just don't even mention it. So there's a large church not far from our church. And a good friend of mine, they used to be members there. They've moved up to Pennsylvania now. Uh, but they used to be members there. And their son had become a believer, their teenage son. They were so happy about that. And he's going to get baptized. So on the day of his baptism, one of the pastors behind the scene, before he comes out to get baptized, just coaches him and says, okay, tell me again now, what are you going to say? Because they let them have a mic. They let them talk a little bit. And the, the boy shared his testimony, he shared his story. And at the very end of it, he said to this pastor, uh, he, he, these were his closing words, so I'm just so thankful that I won't go to hell now. The pastor said, oh, you can't say that. That would require a whole lot of explaining on our part. Whoa, you can't say hell? Something's rotten in the state of Denmark, my friends, when you can't let a kid say, I'm glad I won't go to hell at his baptism. So what is this rebranding thing? Let me kind of summarize it. I'm coming down home stretch. It's anything that's not popular in God's word, won't be popular to our culture, you avoid it or you rebrand it to try and render it likable. Some amount of that may be appropriate, but not when you go to the point where you have now changed the truth into something else. It's no longer recognizable as the thing that's actually in God's word. And anything that is popular in the culture, like a woke Jesus would be very popular, you adapt Jesus to that. You make Jesus appear as woke. You morph him into that thing. So he'll look woke. It's bad. Don't do it. And we've noted, we noted in some of the Lloyd-Jones quotes that I read to you earlier, that it might be motivated by something very good. We want to evangelize. Well, amen to that. We want to reach people. Amen to that. But what's the appropriate methodology for doing that? What are the biblical ways and biblical means, and are there any boundaries to what we won't do? Yeah, there are boundaries to what we won't do. We won't rebrand the faith to make it say things it doesn't really want to say. So what motivates it? Uh, evangelism, or maybe in some cases it's a desire to be liked. If that's it, Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. If we're doing our job, there ought to be people. We're not trying to artificially increase their number, but there ought to be people that say, I don't like those Christians over at Cornerstone. So, Here's some conclusions and a little more reading from Lloyd-Jones. So what do we do? Number one, please, very simply, do not rebrand the Christian faith. 
God's Word doesn't need our help in reshaping it to make it palatable to people in our day. Do like Paul, open statement of the truth. Present biblical truth in biblical garb, clothing, in a biblical appearance, and let God do the work in hearts. Let the Word do the work. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Just shine the light. That's closing point number one. Here's closing point number two. And please, please notice when somebody else is rebranding and be disturbed. Yes, I'm actually asking you to be disturbed with pastors who do this. And third, please don't worry about, well, you need, don't worry that you need to rebrand the faith for your friends or else they won't like you or else they won't respect you. Christians in the first century got stoned because they didn't rebrand the faith in the ways that their friends would like. And fourth, don't be embarrassed by anything in God's word. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed for the God, of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed. And number five in closing, don't put evangelism at the center of everything. See, that's a whole lot of the problem here. I hear this kind of stuff constantly from new people who come to our church and people who ought to know better who've been in our church for a while. It's like evangelism is the whole reason we're here. It's the sine qua non of what a church is. It's our everything. It's all that we're about. And we're going to shape everything to what seems to our reasoning to be best to evangelism. So we'll even rebrand Jesus and make him woke Jesus because that'll be best for evangelism. Evangelism is not at the center of things, my friends. The glory of God lies at the center of things. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And to glorify God, well, evangelism is one way we do that. But another way we glorify God is we hold fast to his word. And we openly state the truth of his word, leaving the results in his hands, leaving whether we get stoned for it or not in his hands, leaving in his hands whether anybody believes it or not. He's powerful to get them to believe the actual word without us rebranding it. Number six in closing, seek God's applause, God's favor, God's approval. Seek faithfulness, Paul, Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man? or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Be with Paul. Be a servant of Christ. Don't try to be a man pleaser. Try to please God. And number seven, I'd love to take some time to do this, but I'm not going to. When you read your Bible, look at how various leaders in the Bible presented their message and show me somebody who rebranded it in such a way that the nature of truth changed. Show me where Paul rebranded Jesus and made him a woke Jesus, for example. No, John the Baptist found his head on a platter, or we found his head on a platter. Why? Because he didn't rebrand things into something that Herod would like. Same with Isaiah, same with Jeremiah, same with the apostles, same with Jesus. Now I say this absolutely tongue-in-cheek. I say it respectfully. If only Jesus had had a marketing firm that helped him to rebrand his thing, the Pharisees would have loved him. Rome would have loved him. They could have showed him. Now, if you change your message this way, if you rebrand that, they would love you. No, Jesus didn't go around either saying, we love you, Pharisees. We embrace you, Pharisees. We're not that bad kind of Christian that pronounces woes on you, Pharisees. No, we don't like that kind of Christian. No, Jesus just openly stated the truth, and for that, they hung him on a cross. 
a little bit more from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and then I really will be done. I'm going to page 296 in this same book. Let's find 296. Getting close. Here we go. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes in another talk. He, it's actually a talk he did, but it is written. There is only one way whereby anyone can receive this gospel, and that is to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. We must trust in the sovereign power of God, the power of his word, the power of the Holy Spirit, that by open statement of the truth, people can be saved. We don't need to tamper with things to make it more palatable to people so they'll be saved. Again, on page 297, this is from a talk he gave in 1969 titled, How to Safeguard the Future. He writes, the natural man is opposed to the gospel. Let us be careful, lest in our desire to present the gospel in an attractive, a pleasing, and what we may imagine to be an acceptable manner, let us be careful, we do not philosophize it away or try to explain it away in terms of some modern knowledge. It cannot be done. Amen, Martin Lloyd-Jones. So I'm going to close with this. Please, just say no to rebranding the faith the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. We are the people on the planet who are supposed to be openly holding forth the word of God, open statement of the truth. So that's it. Don't rebrand it. Just give out the truth. Thank you for joining me on Grounded today. Look for us on all the major platforms, and if you like, share us with a friend. See you next time.